Welcome to another inspirational message from Dave Coop, Senior Pastor of Coastal Church in Vancouver, Canada. This morning we're in Palm Sunday, and uh, if you had some notes, they were there for you when you came in this morning. We're going to be referring to them. And uh, so uh, the title of this morning's message is What Made Jesus Cry? That'll make sense as we get into the message in just a little bit. But before we do that, we have to do something very important this morning. Would you turn to your neighbor and say to them today, I am so glad I'm sitting beside you. All right. Some of you didn't look so glad. I don't know. <laughs> just, just fake it. Smiles. Oh, yeah. Okay. Whoever you are. So let's try this. Don't turn to your other neighbor and say, you look absolutely amazing today. That's great. I see a few women blushing out there. Oh, no, really? Yeah, really? You look amazing. Good to have you at church this morning. You're in the right place. And congratulations to all of you who made it down with the sun run going on. We know that makes... Traveling downtown and getting through the traffic a little more challenging and getting to the parking and all the rest of that. So thank you for making your way down here this morning. Wouldn't be the same without you. Uh, we love worshiping God together in the house, coming together. We're from all kinds of different nations, all kinds of different backgrounds. But when we come here together, we have one great denominator and common denominator, and that is our relationship with Jesus Christ. Really, that's what it comes down to. We have a faith that holds us all together, and I think it's a good thing, and it's a good thing that uh, it keeps us together from all these different backgrounds. We're going to talk about a story today where a lot of people came together, and uh, they were excited, and it was a big celebration, and we're going to talk about that this morning. It was the triumphal entry. We call it Palm Sunday. Uh, there's different views on whether or not it actually happened on Sunday, so that's another story. But it was a triumphal entry of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. We just had the sun run. Thousands of people just ran by our building. Last year, I don't know what the count was today, but last year over 51,000 people ran in the sun run, and today we probably had the same or more running in the sun run. It's, it was, it's a big event. Well, the event we're going to talk about today was bigger in scale and bigger in momentum than the sun run was today. It was, it'd be better to compare the event we're talking about this morning in Jerusalem. It would be more like when uh, Canada won the gold medal last year at, uh, when Crosby scored the goal, and there was such a commotion. Do you remember that last year? If you were in the city, you, you can't forget that. What a day it was. So the event we're talking about today is really that kind of scale, as uh, Cheryl's new word is. It was epic. It was an amazing, it was an epic event. So this morning we're talking about an epic event that Jesus was in. It was, it was huge. And it was it's called Palm Sunday because they were waving palm branches. And the palm branches were their national symbol of freedom. That was meant free us and Hosanna. They were shouting Hosanna. Hosanna means Lord save us, Lord save us now. And they were shouting Hosanna, son of David, because David was symbolic of a victorious king. And they were, they were actually shouting, save us, king, save us, king. So whoever they were shouting to, which is, of course, Jesus, it was representing and honoring him as a king. And this is under a Roman government when they were very suspicious of anybody trying to take power. But here's they're shouting that to Jesus. Then they're waving palm branches. 
a couple of weeks ago when Carl Gustav Severin was here, he, he gave me a call beforehand and he said, Dave, is there any way we can go to a hockey game? I said, Carl, I don't have any tickets, so I don't know, but I'll ask around. And so I got the word out and somebody came back and said, I found two tickets for you for the hockey game. And, and Carl loves hockey. He was here last Sunday. If you missed last Sunday, encourage you to get online and, and watch that video. He had an amazing message about it is well. So if you missed that, I'd go back and pick up that message. But Carl's a hockey fan, plays hockey, and, and uh, you know, grew up around the Swedish hockey players. He's a good friend of the Naslin uh, family. Uh, his, Marcus's dad is a personal friend of his, and so he, he just is in the Swedish hockey world. And so when he was here, he had to go watch those Satine twins. And, and uh, when, we, when we came into the arena, they were giving everybody one of these. And, uh, you know, it was, it said, uh, got to get this the right way here. It said, uh, you know, go, go Canucks, go. And, uh, and they gave it to you flat. And then after a while, I figured out that's not the best way to use it. You, you fold it up like this. And then whenever they scored, you went... And, uh, man, there was a lot of noise, and that's, that's a lot of fun, you know. And we're, we're banging this, and it's, it's noisy, and, and we're waving these things, and we, we've got this thing out there. We're going, go Canucks, go, go Canucks, go, oops. And, uh, and we were, these were our palm branches at the hockey game. This was it, man. We were waving these things, yay. And if you didn't have one of these, you waved a white towel, and you were just, and it's go Canucks, go, a lot of excitement, right? Well, Go back in time 2,000 years ago, they weren't waving these, they weren't waving white towels, they were waving palm branches. And as much as our white towel has a certain representation in a hockey game, their palm branches meant even more so. It was very symbolic, very powerful, a lot of emotion, a lot of expression. It was, uh, you think we get excited at a hockey game, you should have seen them there that day on this triumphal entry. It was it was an event. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. What's happening on this day is kind of like a parade. They're going to be, the parade's going to go into Jerusalem. We live on our churches on Ceremonial Street. The Georgia Street is the Ceremonial Street for Vancouver. If there's a parade, it often goes down here. We have the Santa Claus Parade goes down here. A lot of parades. The races go down the street. And, uh, and if... Folks, last night I made a mistake. I... I'd said, if the Canucks win the Stanley Cup, and I almost had to duck behind the pulpit because I could just see, no, there was no if. It was when they win the Stanley Cup. So I revised the message for this morning. When the Canucks win the Stanley Cup, we'll likely have a parade in the city. And so you got this parade going down Georgia Street, and you'd have the captain or the team. They'd be in the front of the parade, and let's say it's uh, Mr. Sedin. Henrik Sedin, the captain, he's in front and he's leading this parade and uh, maybe he's in a nice, I don't know, maybe they picked a Cadillac or some nice car and he's leading the parade and they're, and they're waving and, they're, and the fans are, are shouting and, and uh, he's in the front of this parade. And can you picture that event happening in our city? You got, do you have faith for that today, that we could do that? Yeah, all right, there's some fans out there. And so we have, here we have this big parade, right? And they're all coming down the street, and there's fans outside, and they got the Stanley Cup, and it, it's a big victory in our city, and it's Canuck fever at a, at a maximum pitch, and it's going right down our street here. And, and here we got the captain of the team. He's out there in front, and, and as they're going down the street, they get up to maybe, let's say, Thurtle here and, and Georgia, and all of a sudden... The captain says, stop the car. 
The driver says, what? Just stop the car. He stops the car. And all of a sudden, he begins to just cry, weep. Not just, not just a few tears and sniffles. All of a sudden, the captain's just crying and wailing. Everybody goes, what in the world is going on? Are you okay? Well, that's what happened in this parade. Jesus is in this amazing parade going into the city. Everybody's cheering for him. Hosanna, king of kings. Hosanna, king, son of David. Hosanna. There is a a greater fever, a greater momentum than we could even duplicate, I think, in a Canuck parade. This was huge. We're not living under, that's just a hockey game. That's just a hockey game. This was their freedom. They're living under the thumb of the Roman Empire, and they've had it up to here with the Romans, and they want freedom, and Jesus in this parade is a picture to them that somebody finally steps up to the plate and says, I'm going to get your freedom. They saw Jesus raise the dead. They saw Jesus feed the thousands. They saw Jesus uh, walk on water. They saw, they'd heard about the miracles of Jesus. They saw that he was willing to stand up to the religious leaders. He had no fear of man, and now he's in this parade, and what he is doing is saying, I am your king, and they are excited. More exciting than we could be about hockey, because this was about a national freedom, spiritual, physical. To win the Stanley Cup means a little bit about, to us, but we'd forget about it a month later. A week later, a day later, they'd never forget about this. And so there is, a, there is just this tempo and this energy that day that's hard to compare it to. But then, why this? Why would Jesus stop the parade and cry? And not just a little cry. The Greek has different words for cry. They had different words for love and then different words for cry. And this one was a, a, a deep cry, an emotional, almost a wail. And here's... Jesus crying. He cried when Lazarus died, and he cries here. But there's, as far as I know, there's not other references to Jesus crying. So this is very significant. This is public. What would make you cry in public? What, what makes you cry now? John Maxwell once said, there's three questions you could ask somebody, and if they'd answer them truthfully, you would know a lot about that person. Number one, what do you dream about? Two, what makes you laugh? Three, what makes you cry? If you're dating somebody and you want to get to know them, ask them those three questions. You'll, you'll know a lot about them. Hey, what do you dream about? What do you laugh at? What makes you cry? There's a good little tip for somebody who's dating somebody. Just try to sneak in those three questions. Now, if they're sitting in the service here with you today, they've probably got to figure it out. But anyhow... <laughs> If they're not, that might work for you. But that would tell you a lot about that person, what you cry about. Well, why is Jesus crying in a very, very public occasion where you're, he's being celebrated? People are they're, they're submitting to him. They're putting their coats down in a, in a gesture of submission to him. They're, they're, they're waving palm branches saying, I hail you as king. So why would you want to stop that and cry? Let's paint some background to this picture. First of all, we'll, we'll ask the question, why is Jesus going to Jerusalem in the first place? The reason we need to ask that question is because he's a wanted man. Remember the old westerns? They'd have these posters that stack up, they'd put up in the post office, wanted, dead or alive, Jesse James, reward, price on his head. There's a price on Jesus' head. He's a wanted man. 
And he's on his way to Jerusalem. The Bible said that he set his face as flint, that hard rock, that he, he said, I will go to Jerusalem. This is a hard thing, but I will go. Have you ever had a hard thing you've got to do? You've got to set your face as flint. Maybe it's an operation in the hospital. You, say, you know what? I've got to go through with it. I've got to do this. Or maybe it's an exam you have to write, a bar exam or a final exam. He said, okay, I'll set my face as flint. I'm going to do this, and I'm making up my mind. I'm going to do it. Well, the Lord had a very hard thing to do, and that was he had to go to Jerusalem to, to die for us. He knew that when he got there, he knew that he would be, he told his disciples, I'm going to be insulted. They're going to spit on me. They're going to crucify me. They'll kill me. I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be mocked, but I must go. Do you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane this week, perhaps, as you're doing your reading, as we lead up to Easter, I encourage you to read the Easter story, the resurrection story. And when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he prays and he says, Lord, is there any way that this cup can be taken from me? And he's, he's wrestling with it in deep, deep agony. The reason he wrestled with it, because it wasn't just the physical death and torture that he was going to experience, it was the spiritual agony he would go through, because he would take your sins and my sins upon him. He who knew no sin, the Bible says, became sin. So, and as he took on sin, sin separates us from God. It, it keeps us from God. God's a holy God. He can't have sin in his presence. And the only way we are in his presence is because Jesus took our sins so that we can come before a holy God. We've only been made right with God through what Christ did for us. And as he looks at Jerusalem, he sees what's on the horizon for him. I know that I will go through this physical torture and humiliation, but I also will have to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me as I take the sins of the world? So he's going to Jerusalem knowing what's ahead of him, and he had to set his face as flint. He picks his timing to go into Jerusalem. He could have gone at a different time, but he, he's very specific about the timing. He would announce his kingship. Now, at different times, they tried to make Jesus king. Come be our king. You're, you're great to be around. We come here, you speak, and then you feed us. I like that. You know, you, 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 I'm sick and you heal me. You, you, you'll make a great king. Be our king. And Jesus said, no, no, that's not the right timing. See, Jesus announced his kingship the way he felt he should and the timing that needed to be done. We don't have time to break this down, but if you're interested, do a study on how supernatural this event really is. Listen carefully. Jesus dies on Passover. This event is leading into Passover. He dies at Passover. If you go back to the book of Leviticus and the story of Exodus, they're given instructions on when to kill the Passover lamb. Jesus dies on the exactly the same day, the 14th day of the month it's recorded that this lamb must be slain. Jesus dies on the exact same day as our sacrificial lamb. If you're not familiar with the story of Passover, maybe you didn't grow up in a, in a, in a Christian home, or maybe this is all new to you, and you say, well, what is Passover? That's kind of a new term for me. I don't know what Passover is. What does that mean? If you know what it means, then just bear with me for a little bit, and we'll do it as a review. Israel had been taken captive into Egypt, and for 400 and some years, 
they had cried out to God to get out of slavery. They're taken captive there. And they're a slave. Just like we were a slave to sin before we found the Lord. They're a slave. Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, get lost. I'm not letting your people go. You make good bricks. Get back to work. And so they did that a number of times. And every time Pharaoh says, forget it, God gets their attention by sending a plague. And Pharaoh, a number of times, says, okay, you can go. But then he always changes his mind. He, he doesn't want to let, there's millions of people, and they, they make really good workforce, so he doesn't want to let them go. And the last plague is, he says, let my people go. If you don't, your firstborn is going to die. Your first male child will die. And for the children of Israel, God said, in order for this plague not to come near you, there has to be a sacrifice. Take a lamb and take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost of your home, and the death angel will, catch this word, pass over your house, and it won't touch you. And so that's where we get the term Passover. There, there was a covenant made that protected them. Christ has made a covenant for us that protects us. He has become our sacrificial lamb. If you're new to church, you could come to church and say, man, they sing a lot about lambs. That's kind of interesting. They talk about lambs. Why don't they sing about cows? Why don't they sing about ducks? They could be singing about, you know, they could be singing about puppies, but they sing about lambs. Why do they sing about lambs? I'd ask that question. It's a fair question. Why do they sing about lambs? And it goes back to this powerful story where the Lord takes an innocent lamb that was an animal that they were familiar with. It was precious to them. It was their livelihood. It, was, it, it had a lot of picturistic, uh, there was a lot of symbolism in it. And that lamb was a symbol of this meek lamb that would lay its life down for others. And Christ is our lamb. He took our sins. He became the sacrifice for us. It's significant because when they come into Jerusalem, Jesus is tied up at the same hour the lamb was tied up. Jesus dies at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. That's the same time that the priest would kill the lamb. So it was perfect timing down to a T. Jesus was the lamb. Now, as he's coming into Jerusalem on this triumphal entry... He's aware of that. He knows what he's going to do. He, he will be that sacrificial lamb for us. It's a lamb without spot or blemish. Now, another question we should ask is, well, why did Jesus ride into Jerusalem on a donkey? If he's a king, man, you need to be like Zorro, ride a horse, you know, or, or be like Braveheart. Go, remember, that's riding back and forth on a, on a horse. He should be riding on a horse, and they did. That was symbolic of a king in those days was to ride a stallion and but that was when you went to war. You, wore, you, you rode the stallion. But when the war had been fought, you rode a donkey. The donkey was a symbol that the war has been fought. There's peace in the land. You don't have to worry. Everything's cool. Jesus symbolically takes a donkey and rides into the city. He's telling you and I something. I am going to go, and I am going to defeat the powers of darkness. They want me to defeat the Roman Empire, but my picture is a different picture. My battle is a different battle. My battle is not an earthly battle. It's a spiritual battle, and I will defeat the powers of darkness. He's, Colossians says, the book of Colossians says that he spoiled principalities and powers and made an open display of them as being defeated. Folks, when Jesus died and rose again, he stripped the power of Satan over people. So it's done. He said, I give you authority 
to tread over serpents and scorpions, over all the power of the devil. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. This enemy cannot hurt you. I'm going to take care of him. And I will do that when I pay the price for you. So that's been done. As a result of it, we have peace. Sin no longer controls us. Those powers of darkness can no longer control our lives. And so Jesus is giving us a picture as he rides into the city on a donkey that I will conquer those powers of darkness and you will have a peace that the world cannot give you. My peace, he said, I leave with you. Not as the world gives, I give you my peace. There's a peace that we have from God. You can't get anywhere else. You can't buy this kind of peace. You can't. You, you, you can't get enough stuff to have this kind of peace. You can try it if you like. Go on more cruises, go on more trips, buy more cars, buy more clothes, buy more food, buy more beds, buy more this, buy more that. And, and when you're older, see if you have more peace. You won't. You'll still feel empty inside. So there's still something missing. He says, I've come to give you a peace that you can't give anywhere else. Get anywhere else. So... Why did he ride in Jerusalem on a donkey? It was a declaration that he was king, that he had brought us peace. It fulfilled Zechariah 9, verse 9, where it says, Your humble king is coming riding on a colt. In Luke 19, 29 and 30, it says, As they came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead, going to that village over there. He told them, As you enter it, you'll see a colt tied there. It's never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. So he rides into that city. On a, on a donkey. So, third question I want to ask. He's coming to the city. He's riding on a donkey. We don't know which two disciples get it. All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all tell the story, but none of us tell who the disciples are. Anyhow, they get the donkey. They bring it to Jesus. They put their coats on the donkey. And Jesus sits on the donkey. He's in this amazing parade, and he's going into Jerusalem. The Mount of Olives is here. Bethany's kind of behind it. So they left Bethany where he was staying with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, the guy who was raised from the dead. And they come to the Mount of Olives. And then if you've been to Israel, you go down the Mount of Olives into what's called the Kidron Valley. It's not really a mount. It's more like a, a big hill. You go down the Mount of Olives into the Kidron Valley, and then you come up the Kidron Valley and you enter Jerusalem. Jerusalem's kind of perched on a hill with valleys around it. And as Jesus is coming down this Mount of Olives, somewhere as he's coming down, he sees Jerusalem, and that's where he stops this parade. He's coming down this. Now, on this mountain, it's super crowded. There's lots of people. They're there. And so we want to talk about who's in the crowd that day. So in order to find out why did he stop and all that happened, we've got to paint the picture of who's in the crowd that day. So let's zoom down. Let's, you know, uh, get to... Uh, What's it? Google Maps. You know, you Google Maps and you can zoom in, zoom in, zoom in. So let's zoom in right down into the crowd and let's see who's there that day. Uh, if you have your, your hand out there, Matthew 21, 10, 11 says, And when he'd come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Do you, did you see that? It's, it's even bolded in your hand out. All the city was moved. If you were here last year when the that the gold medal was won, the whole city was moved, right? Crosby scores that goal, and about a, an hour later, you could not get out of the city. It is wall-to-wall people. The whole city was moved over that event. Well, take that event, if you like, in your imagination. That's what Jerusalem is like. 
Now, at this time, when the Passover happened, everybody kind of comes home. We come home for Christmas. Christmas is a busy time in our airports. Well, this is a busy time in their airport. Everybody comes home. The families are making their favorite meals. Their so-and-so's coming home. The Passover's happening. And there's, there's just a buzz in the city because everybody's home. This is a timing that Jesus is picking to come into the city. Everybody's there. Josephus, the historian, says that the population of the city may have swelled to 2 million people. Other people think that's too much. They said maybe 500,000. It really doesn't matter. The city is crowded, and it is full of people. It's wall-to-wall. It's like going down to the fireworks on a warm summer night here in Vancouver. Robson Street, just wall-to-wall people. That's what Jerusalem is like. Lots of people, and what's being talked about in the city, everybody's aware of it. They, today, we'd be tweeting it, or we'd be Facebooking, we'd be texting, and I don't know how they did it back then, but everybody's finding out that Jesus, they're asking, who is this Jesus? This is amazing. So the whole city is stirred up about it. And then in Luke 19, 37, it's there in your notes, when they reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. So, Let's think about it a bit. Who, who's in the parade that day? Well, first of all, of course, all these people that are visiting from out of town, they're in the parade, and they're watching. Some think this is amazing. Some wonder, who is this Jesus? Is he crazy? Everybody's thinking he's going to be king. The Romans are going to kill him if he doesn't watch out. I mean, anybody just stand up and say, I'm king, and you've got these Roman soldiers watching, uh, you know, it's like C.S. Lewis said, either Jesus is a lunatic or he's a liar or he is who he said he is. And I'm sure that crowd was saying the same thing. Either this is, either the guy's crazy, or he, he, he's a liar, or he is who he says he is. So you have those type of reactions in the crowd. You've, who else would be in the crowd? Well, you've got the Roman soldiers. You know, on the canvas of your mind today, paint this hill going down. You've got Jerusalem in the background, crowded people around you, Roman soldiers standing there. They think this is a joke. Because when they put on a parade, they put on a parade. When the Romans conquered a city or they had a king, man, they put it together. It was, you study Roman history, and th- those people, they knew how to put on a, a ceremony. You got a bunch of, you know, it looks like a bunch of hillbillies coming down the hill on a donkey, and they're waving branches, and thinking, man, they don't know how to do this. And just any uprising, and they're going to squash it. There was a guy a few years before this happened. He rolled into town. There was a bit of an uprising. His name is Theodos. The Romans didn't like it. They killed all 400 of his followers, and they took Theodos, cut off his head, and they hung it on the garrison wall and said, don't try this again. So those are the Roman soldiers that are kind of watching over this event. And they're, they're there. So we got the Roman soldiers. we got all these crowds. And then it says here in Luke chapter 19, it's the followers of Jesus. I think they're the ones who started the shouting and the singing because they began to shout and sing as they walked along praising God, the wonderful miracles they had seen. So I got thinking, who, who would have seen the wonderful miracles? Can you think of somebody in the Bible that might be there that day? Maybe, well, Lazarus is there because he came from Lazarus' house. Lazarus would be there shouting and singing. Lazarus was raised from the dead. His, he was also wanted. They wanted to kill him as well because get rid of the evidence. Lazarus was there. And somebody looks over and says, hey, hey, I recognize you. I saw your picture in the Jerusalem Post. Aren't you that guy that was raised from the dead? Oh, what was his name? Hey, you're Lazarus. Man, tell me what happened. I, I want to know. What, what in the world was that like? And I said, yeah, man, that was amazing. You got... <laughs> Man, I, I was sick. You got to know that I was, I was really sick. And 
I, I went to Mary and Martha, and I was lying in my bed. I said, hey, get Jesus. Just get my friend Jesus and have him come pray for me. And they laughed. They, they sent some servants out to get him. And, and I, I was just waiting. Oh, man, I hope he gets here. And, and uh, that night I slept. The next day didn't show up. And the next day didn't show up. And then I don't remember what happened. I was all of a sudden I was gone. And Jesus, I died. He never did show up. And, uh, and the next thing I know, I'm, I'm in another world. I look down and my body's in this tomb. They did the regular burial on me. I mean, they, they wrapped me up, and they, I mean, I'm all tied up, and, and I'm in that tomb for a number of days. They told me it was four days, and then also I'm in this tomb, and I'm kind of out of my body. It's a weird experience, but I hear these words somewhere out there, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, come forth. And, man, it freaked me out, and all of a sudden I'm back in my body, and I see this little light outside the tomb, and I said, I guess I come forward. Also, I'm back in my body, so I kind of bounce out because I'm all wrapped up. And I jumped out there like a, look, a little bunny, and, and I looked out there, and, and there's Jesus. And the people were freaking out, and some were screaming, and I mean, it was, it, I was dead, and I was alive. I didn't, they didn't resuscitate me. I was gone for four days, as our tradition is, that after four days, after three days, you are dead, dead. And I was dead, dead, and Jesus called me, and I went out there, and, and then they, they, they unwrapped me, and uh, I've been signing a lot of autographs ever since. People just can't get over the fact that I'm alive. And matter of fact, i got to watch it because some of the people are mad that I am alive. But, yeah, isn't this great? That, that's my king. That's, that's Jesus right there. I mean, he's the one who called me forth. So he's in the crowd. You might have maybe there's a little girl in the crowd, and she's just going nuts. She's like, yay, Jesus, Hosanna, King of Kings, Hosanna, King of Kings. She's waving her palm branch. This girl is just so enthusiastic. And somebody says, wow, <laughs> little girl, you got a lot of excitement for this. She goes, oh, yeah, that's Messiah. That's the king. That's the son of David. That's, and she's just so excited. They say, well, why are you so excited? What's your story? She said, oh, I was, I was sick. I'm the only child. And uh, I said to my dad, I said, where's Jesus? My dad's the ruler of the synagogue. He's, he's a big shot in town. And he, he really humbled himself, and he ran, and he found Jesus. And he was by the seashore, and he found him there. And he, he got down right in the sand, and he said, I'll come and pray for my daughter, Jesus. And that was a big thing for my dad to do because he's really well-known in the city, but he just humbled himself anyway. He ran there, and then he, and he brought Jesus back to our house. And the thing is that on the way there, I died. Yeah, I was sick, and all of a sudden, I just remember that it was over. It was out, and I was in another world. And then, then all of a sudden, I hear these words. Tabitha, arise. And I opened my eyes, and it was Jesus. It's the same guy on the donkey. I looked up, and there it was Jesus. And I thought, oh, wow. And, and, he, and he raised me up, and, and he's so caring. He said, you know, the girl's hungry. Get her something to eat, too, because she's totally healed. And, and, and Jesus just cared for me. That's, that's why I'm shouting, Hosanna. I'm waving my palm branches because he's the king. This is it. And she's really excited. And they look around, and there's a little boy, and he's going just as crazy as that girl was. And he's shouting, he's singing, he's like, Hosanna's like, like a little boy could, both hands pumping. He's just like waving palm branches, and he's, he's more excited than if, you know, one of our kids got to 
be in the presence of a great hockey player or football player or something. He's just so excited. He's just up there. Yeah, Hosanna, Hosanna, shouting loudly. And somebody says, man, why are you so excited, little boy? He says, oh, man, don't you know who that is? That, that's the king. That's, that's Jesus. That's, we're celebrating. He's king. He's Lord. We're, he's going to help us. And they go, well, how do you know him? You know, it's kind of a strange story. I was with this whole big group of people. My mom brought me out to hear this crowd one day listening to him. We were kind of away from the city, and we're out there by Galilee. And, and, uh, and they were asking if anybody had any food. And my mom packed me this little lunch, had some fish and a few buns. And they, they asked if they could use it. I went, oh, I don't know about that. But they said it was for Jesus. I said, okay. And so I went with them. And you know what, you know what Jesus did? He, he took my, my, my few pieces of bread that I had, their loaves or buns and the fish, and he held them up to the Father, and he said, bless them. And then Jesus started to break the bread and the fish, and he just kept doing that, and it never ran out. We, we fed all the people with it. And it's amazing. This is, this is Jesus. And so he's in the crowd. Then there's another guy named Bartimaeus. He's the loudest in the crowd because he used to be blind. And when Jesus went to Jericho one day, as he came into Jericho, he runs into blind Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus hears that Jesus is coming, and he, with great faith and boldness, just begins to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Desperate faith, desperate for healing. And Jesus hears it and says, hey, who is that? And people say, be quiet, shut up, Bartimaeus. But he says, no, no, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he comes up, and Jesus heals blind Bartimaeus. And now I bet he's in that parade. And can you imagine how loud he'd be shouting? If he shouted that loud when he was blind, I think that day when everybody's waving their palm branches and shouting, Hosanna, I bet you he was shouting so loud it'd make every Canadian nervous. Because... You know, we get nervous, somebody shouts really loud. Unless it's a hockey game, then we're okay with it. But other than that, we, oh, I think he was just, yeah, Hosanna, Hosanna. He's, he's so excited, super excited. Why? Why are these people so excited? Again, they're hoping and praying they can get free from Roman occupation. The disciples are there. John says in his account, the disciples didn't understand. They didn't understand until after the resurrection what Jesus was really doing. At this point, everybody's just thinking, let's get out from underneath Roman oppression. We need a king. We need somebody to stand up to them. But our Lord had a different kingship in mind. So that's who's in the crowd that day. We have this amazing picture going on. But then, as I mentioned earlier, the parade comes to a stop, and Jesus begins to cry. Look at Luke 19, 41 and 42. It's there in your notes, but as they came to Jerusalem and Jesus saw the city ahead, he began to cry. This word again is a deep cry. And he says, I wish that even today you'd find the way of peace. But now it's too late and peace is hidden from you. So the question is, at the end of this message, why is he crying? One, Jesus is crying because they didn't recognize the kingdom spiritual. They think it's a kingdom to get rid of the Romans. No, this is a kingdom that you and I are in. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's the Prince of Peace living in our heart. It's not an earthly kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom, a different type of kingdom. And then secondly, he was crying because they wanted peace on a different terms. They wanted peace through a military conquest. 
Jesus wasn't going to do a military conquest. This was a spiritual conquest, much greater, much more far-reaching for each and every one of us. He would pay the price for us to be at peace with God and that the chains of darkness would be broken for our life. It was a different kind of peace. He said, my peace, I'm going to leave with you. Not as the world leaves, but I'm going to give you a different kind of peace. So I think he was weeping because they, like he says, you... uh, you, you're not understanding it. You, you're not finding my way of peace. Um, you think Jesus would weep over Vancouver? Or do we have our act together so much that it wouldn't bother him? I think he weeps over Vancouver. I think he weeps when we are so distracted with things that we aren't as fanatical for him as we are for a hockey team or anything else. I think he weeps when he sees that he has more fans of Jesus than there are followers of Jesus. You can be a fan and a follower, but there's some, I think, today that are just fans of Jesus. Today, it's good to be a fan of Jesus. Oh, yeah, yay, Jesus, yay, Jesus. And they're, they're shouting, yay, Hosanna, Hosanna. But then a few days later, they're saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Same people. Fickle. Fans are fickle. Because when the team's winning, when the Canucks are winning, yay, man, they can't do wrong. Look, Rongola, the Sedin twins, and, and man, everybody's just, they're on top of it. We just are bragging about our team. Let them lose for a month straight. And then just... Turn on the 1040 radio station. Oh, those Canucks, that coach, and that Luongo, take them out, trade them, get somebody new, and, and we're, just, we're down on the team. That's the fan, right? But if you're on the team, you're committed, you're not talking that way. And we're on the team. We're, we are Team Jesus. We're not just fans, we're followers. We, we are a part of him. Some people are fans of Jesus. They're fans of church. You come to church, oh, this is great. I felt a lot better when I came here. There's a lot of spiritual energy here. I feel really good. Yeah, this is wonderful. They come back to church for next week and next week, and then somebody makes a mistake or does something that hurts them, offends them. They go, oh, that's it. I'm out of here. I tried that. That's a fan. But a follower, he goes, you know what? I have decided to follow Jesus. He's weeping because there, a lot of them were just fans. They weren't followers. Today, our challenge is not just to be a fan, but it's to be a follower of Jesus. To lay our life down and say, I have decided to follow Jesus. He's weeping, crying. Why? Because they weren't understanding peace. We have the privilege of the Holy Spirit. We have the privilege of the written word to look back and say, Ah, I see it, God. I see what you did for us. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to download free notes from this message or find out more information about Pastor Dave Coop, then we invite you to visit our website at www.coastalchurch.org.